Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. Love you so much. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It was over 20 years ago I stood here. There was a pulpit here, and it was my first Sunday, and I had to do the welcome. And, of course, my name, Tim, and I knew that the church probably wasn't going to remember me. So I referred to myself on that day and many days since. I will always be 2 Timothy. There's your first Timothy right there. So uh, that's about the only funny thing I'll say all day today. But church, God bless you. Let me just brag on Woodburn Baptist Church. My beautiful bride is here, Ginger. I think she's sitting with uh, people that we know and love, Mark and Deanne McElroy. Uh, your church, not Tim's church, not anybody's church, the Lord's church, but Woodburn was so good to us. You all loved on us as you continue to love on people now. Our son was two years old, I think, uh, when uh, our, maybe not even two years old, Ginger's gonna correct me when we get in the car, but he was a baby uh, when we left. Christina wasn't even born yet. Zachary is an upcoming junior at Western Kentucky University. Our daughter is finishing out her senior year in Portland uh, at the high school there. And as Tim said, we're on our way back to Bowling Green and we're excited about that. But what a joy it is for me to be uh, here with each of you this morning. There is a handful of folk, even in this 11 o'clock hour that I know and love, and I'm just so grateful to see your smiling faces. And I pray that today, as I said in the first two services, probably never heard a preacher say this, I pray that today you will not remember one word that I say, but that you'll remember everything that the Spirit of God puts upon your heart. So that's my hope today. So with that said, turn to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, Luke chapter 7. We're going to read verses 11 through 17 in a moment. But before I get into 11 through 17, I just want to briefly describe the first 10 verses of Luke chapter 7. This is the first 10 verses of the, uh, talking about the centurion of great faith. Uh, here was a man who was a Gentile Roman soldier. He had a very sick servant, and he believed in Christ so much, he believed that Jesus could heal this sick servant of his without even physically touching the servant. He was a man, as I said, of great faith, and that leads us to this statement right here. Everybody here this morning, apparently we are people of faith because we're at church on Sunday morning. Yes, this is the belt buckle of the Bible belt, but you chose to be here. You would consider yourself a person of faith. Well, that's good, but here's something better. More than a person of faith, let it be said about each of us that we are also faithful people, right? So this centurion was not just a person of faith knowing what Jesus could do, but he really truly believed that Jesus could heal the servant without even touching the servant. So he was not just a person of faith, he was a faithful person. So I pray that today, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we would hopefully consider ourselves someone who strives to be a faithful follower of Christ. A whole lot easier said than done. It's what the preacher is supposed to say on a Sunday morning, but that is the goal for us to be faithful followers of Christ. So that's the first 10 verses. Jesus was even quoted. You can read it. Jesus said, I've never met anybody in all of Israel that had the faith of this man. What a great descriptor that is of our Savior talking about somebody. I don't know if Jesus ever talks about us in heaven or not. I think he does. But wouldn't that be awesome if he said, oh, that old knucklehead down there. Now, that's a man of great faith. 
Uh, let the same be said about each of us. First 10 verses, Luke chapter seven. I said that a whole lot quicker than first Timothy could have said it. I'm telling you right now. So let's all stand real quick. One last time as I read from God's word, Luke chapter seven, verses 11 through 17. The word of God says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, N-A-I-N, and his disciples in a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, do not cry. And then he went up and he touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and he began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Can I say that one more time? God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread all throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Father, today in the name of Jesus, God, I ask for a fresh anointing. Lord, I pray again that not one person in here would remember the words that the preacher says, but God, when the Spirit of God speaks truth into our life, Lord, that's what we need to hold on to today. And so, Father, we pray that you would do just that. Thank you for this miraculous story and how it can even affect us on this day. Father, we love you and we trust in you as Savior. And it's in the name of Christ Jesus, I pray and give praise. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Leave your Bibles open. If you want to take a note or two, I would encourage you to do that. So Jesus, if you'll look in verse 11, he's in a town called Nain. Now Nain is about six miles outside of Nazareth, meaning Jesus knows this terrain very well. He's very familiar with this area. Now some of you, you know Woodburn and Warren County like the back of your hand. And I want you to know that that is an advantage that you have for the kingdom over maybe some others. You know where the coffee drinkers are. Y'all have liars tables around here, right? You know where the coffee drinkers are. You know where the farmers are at. You know just kind of the ways that people function throughout this society. I encourage you and challenge you, use that to your advantage to be a person that would represent the hands and the feet and the voice of God to these people in this community that you know and love. And so Jesus, the Bible says he was in this town called Nain and they're just kind of going down the road. It says his disciples and a large crowd following him. Now I believe it's very important to mention Anytime you see in the word of God where a large crowd of people are following Jesus, that doesn't necessarily guarantee that all of those people were faithful followers of Christ. There were some in the crowd that were probably doubters of the Lord. Perhaps there were some in the crowd that even hated the Lord. Yes, there were some that truly believed that he was the Messiah as the disciples did, but some were just simply spectators wanting to see what Jesus was going to do next. Boy, did they get an eyeful here in just a moment. So Jesus is walking down a very familiar street, knowing where he's going. Now, all of a sudden, according to the Bible, look at verse 12. We see something that nobody wants to see. It's a funeral procession. I'm going to step away from the scripture real quick. I got to give you one funny illustration. The only funeral story I have, funeral procession story, raise your hand if you know Bob and Teresa Stivers. She was a school teacher at Cumberland Trace Elementary. I'm a Cumberland Trace Trojan. Uh, Miss Teresa was my first grade teacher. She was even our kids' preschool teacher. Well, I'm from Johnson and Vaughn Funeral Home going to Fairview Cemetery, and I passed by Bob and Teresa Stivers' house. The hearse is in front of me, the police car, 
the family that's grieving is behind me in all of their cars, uh, car stretched across uh, Fairview there, heading to the grave. And all of a sudden, when we pass Bob and Teresa's house, I always look at their house because of all of the thousands of students that Miss Teresa had, I certainly know that I was her very favorite. And so I always look at that house. And on this day, there are cop cars everywhere. Now, this is before Brett was sheriff. I mean, there were police cars all throughout her and Bob's yard. I couldn't believe it. I knew something terrible was going on. I tried to call her son, Scott, his, uh, their daughter, uh, Trina. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. I had about four more minutes before I got to the gravesite, and I was scared to death. Now, the truth be known, I probably did a turbo graveside service that day to hurry up and get to the Stiver's house because it really did frighten me. And so when I got back and got there on the scene, sure enough, police cars were still there. I find a police officer. I run up to him really quickly. I said, I'm Tim Clovis. I'm a minister here in town. What in the world is going on? He was really busy. This is a, y'all can laugh at this. What I'm about to say is going to scare you, but this is actually funny. He looked at me without hesitation. He said, meth lab. (laughs) I said, Miss Teresa and Bob, what are you talking about? He said, no, idiot, three or four houses down the road. There's a meth lab in somebody's, la- uh, somebody's shed back there. Scared me to death. I thought Miss Teresa Stivers was a meth head. And then, uh, so uh, the godliest woman in Bowling Green. So if you all know Teresa and you see Miss Stivers, you tell her that her favorite student knows that she is drug free. I'm, I'm well aware of that. So that's the only funeral procession story that I have. Puts a smile on her face. But here's what does not put a smile on our face. Picture this. Some of us are here, we're all here physically, but not all of us are here mentally or spiritually right now. You might be here physically, but you got work going on, you got family chaos, your life is upside down, and you're just already thinking about lunch. But hone in on this. Think about this. Jesus and a group of people going from point A to point B. And now from point B to point A, we have a a grieving lady, the worst day of her life. The Bible says that she was a widow, her husband is dead, and now their only child, a son, is being laid to rest. A bad day. Let me say this, and we all know this, death is hard. One out of one of us is going to die unless the Lord comes while we're still alive. How's that good news for the guest preacher today? One out of one of us is going to die, but not all of us are going to perish. Meaning, although we will all die and receive judgment from God, not everyone here will receive the wrath of God because of the grace that Jesus has given us when he set us free through salvation. Amen? Amen. But this lady, talking about a bad day, her son dies. She probably woke up that morning knowing exactly what the day held that they were going to put her son in the ground somewhere. And so these grieving people, none of which is grieving more than this lady, is walking from point B to point A, as I said. And Jesus and his disciples and followers, they did exactly what we would do. We'd step aside and let the funeral procession go and cars stop. You all know and respect and love that. And that's what happened here. And look at verse 13. Jesus does something. He initiates the conversation. Now, remember earlier when I said there was a great crowd of people following Jesus, and not everybody was necessarily a follower. And I bet you when they heard what Jesus told this lady, when he said, don't cry, I bet some in the crowd would say, what in the world did that man just say to her? How does Jesus have the audacity to tell a grieving woman whose husband is already dead, whose son is about to be put in the ground, why in the world would he tell this lady that's grieving not to cry? He didn't say, don't cry, as if we would say to some, somebody, you know, suck it up, buttercup. But he's saying to this lady, don't cry as if a parent or a grandparent would tell a child that fell and skinned up their knee. 
We would say to that child, don't cry, it's going to be okay. That's exactly what this man did that we know our Messiah Jesus, this is what Jesus did to this grieving lady. They made eye contact, he said, don't cry, it's going to be okay. So he initiates the conversation, the very next verse, look at what he does. He initiates the miracle. Now here's a word that we need to kind of land on for a moment, the word compassion. This is not a political statement. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, or somewhere in between or nothing. Every one of us would agree that we live in an upside down world, amen? Amen. I mean, it is craziness. And the reason why it's craziness, one of the reasons, there's probably a hundred reasons, but one of the reasons why it's craziness is because people that claim Christ as the Lord of their life, we do not do a very good job oftentimes of displaying compassion in our life. Sympathy and compassion are both great words. These are words that we need to practice. These are words that we need to display in our life. If you have somebody that you know and love in your life that's hurting, it is good for you to be sympathetic. It is Christ-like for you to communicate that you are sorry that they are going through that. Exactly what Jesus said, do not cry to the lady. Sympathetic. But Jesus now does something that we know is a miracle, but he shows his compassion. Now, pick a miracle, any miracle in the Gospels. Remember the story in Mark chapter two when Jesus heals the paralyzed man? When the four friends got on the roof and they dug through the roof and they lowered their friend, what does the Bible say before Jesus healed? He had compassion on him and he healed him. Remember when Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, talking about a tough day, a 12-year-old daughter, according to the word of God, is on her deathbed. Nothing else mattered to this father. He just simply wanted to get to the feet of Jesus and beg Jesus, plead Jesus, come and and, and rescue my daughter. And when Jesus goes to the house, what did the Bible say? The Bible says he had compassion. So sympathy will always say, write this down, sympathy will always say, I'm sorry. Compassion will say, I want to help. The reason that we live in an upside down world is we're a, a lot of believers, we just choose not to get involved in somebody else's story. We're, we're too busy with our own story. We, we don't show compassion as we should. And what's really kind of dreadful, and this is bad, I, I failed to mention this in the first two services, but some people say, ah, preacher, I, God didn't wire me that way. I'm not, comp- that my wife, she's compassionate, I'm, I'm not compassionate. Listen, if you believe that about yourself, you've, you've believed a lie from the devil. If we are to be little Christ, Christian, if we are to represent God in our life, we need to be a people like Christ, representing Christ, filled and full of compassion. So Jesus and his entourage, if you will, they're at the side of the road and the people are passing by. Jesus initiates the conversation and now the miracle, he goes and he has compassion and he touches the coffin. What happens? The dead man wakes up and he gets up and he sits up and he begins to talk. If you go to the funeral home at J.C. Kirby this week and whoever it is is in the coffin sits up and starts talking, if there's 100 people in the room after that happens, there's probably gonna be about 60 people in the room, right? 40 people, including all preachers, are taken off running, right? Not everybody in the crowd that saw this miracle probably stuck around because it frightened them. And here's all that we need to know and believe with all of our heart. Now, please hear me. Don't just think this is preacher talk and what the preacher's supposed to say, but do you really believe the following statement that I'm about to make? God can make the impossible possible. Whatever you have going on in your life right now, if it's an impossible situation, an impossible moment, 
Your marriage is hanging on by a thread and you know it's just not gonna work out. Your finances are upside down. The doctors report all the above. There's impossible things going on in your life. I want you to know that God can certainly make the impossible possible. Certainly his will will always be done, but we serve a God that can make the impossible possible. When this lady opened her eyes that morning, the most dreaded day of all of her life, the worst day of all of her life, has now been radically changed and transformed because of the compassion of our Savior. And so this man, he sits up and he begins to talk. I want to read verses 16 and 17, and then I want to share some scriptures that can relate to those verses. So if you have your Bibles open, Luke chapter 7, verses 16 and 17 the word of God says they were all, this is after the miracle's taken place. Some have probably already, Kentucky words, skedaddled. And now this is what happens. They were all filled with awe, A-W-E, and they praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. Here's the statement. God has come to help his people. And then the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the entire countryside. The first word I want to talk about, awe, A-W-E. Many of us in this room, we've known the Lord for a long time. Amen. Don't ever apologize for that. If you have walked with the Lord for a long time, good for you. What a beautiful testimony that is. Some of you are new to the faith and God bless you. Praise the Lord for the Lord saving your soul. But here is the dilemma that I believe the Western believer, the American believer often has when it comes to our relationship with God. God has allowed us to have uh, so much blessing. We are the land of plenty. Oftentimes when we hear the story of Jesus and what Jesus did for us by way of the cross, how God through the power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, we can hear story and miracle after miracle. And guess what doesn't happen? A tear won't even come to our eye. Our heart won't even flutter anymore when we hear the name of Jesus. It's kind of like we've lost our awe. A-W-E. Listen to what the Bible says. Psalm chapter 34, verses 9 and 10. Somebody might want to write that down. Psalm 34, 9 and 10. Worship in awe and wonder, all you who've been made holy. For all who fear him will feast with the plenty. Even the strong and the wealthy grow weak and hungry. But those who passionately pursue the Lord will never lack anything good. Passionately pursue the Lord. Now my wife is in here right now, so she knows I don't always passionately pursue the Lord as I could or should. Probably, if the truth be known, none of us do. But watch what maybe some people do. There will be people, maybe some of which are in this room. You will passionately pursue a dollar bill all day long. You will passionately pursue social acceptance. You just love being loved. And certainly there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what you passionately pursue. Hear the word of God. Don't remember what the preacher says, but let the spirit of God prompt this in your life. Passionately pursue the goodness and the graciousness of our Lord and Savior. If you passionately pursue anything or uh, anyone or anything above how it is that we pursue the Lord, we're pursuing the wrong thing passionately pursue the Lord. If we're a people of faith, maybe when we think about it, we'll passionately pursue God. But if you're a faithful person, that is a consistent factor in your life. Passionately pursuing God is the awe of your relationship with the Lord still prevalent in your life. If it is, friends, at the end, we'll talk about sharing the good news is a part of your repertoire in every day of your life. 
of sharing the good news of Jesus. And then what happens after they're filled with all the Bible says at the latter part of verse 16, the people that remained and that was there that saw the miracle, they began to give praise. Now praise, of course, can certainly happen. What a beautiful praise set that was that we just experienced. But praise can certainly happen outside the four walls of the church. Oftentimes, we see more praising the Lord outside the church walls than we do inside the church walls. What does the word of God say about God's people praising the Lord? Psalm chapter 150, verse six, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Do we do that? Or do we wait? Hey, we gotta wait till Sunday, 11 o'clock. First Timothy's gonna preach, we're gonna praise the Lord then. I pray that we would be a people that constantly and consistently strive to praise the Lord with every breath that we have, knowing that every breath that we have is a gift that God has given us. Remember, kind of Debbie Downer here, but true, one out of one of us, we have a statistic that's coming our way. Hopefully it's not anytime soon, but that day is a coming. I pray that we would passionately pursue a faith walk with the Lord. And while we have breath in our lung, we would be a people like these people that we would give praise to the Lord. Why do we praise the Lord? Because he is worthy. And then that statement that I repeated earlier, here's what's beautiful about it. God has come to help his people. God is the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. Is that what the preacher is supposed to say or do we really believe that? God is the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And oh, by the way, uh, because we live in an upside down world, if it was a sin 100 years ago, I got news for you, it's a sin today, right? We've forgotten about that. And a lot of times we forget things that we need to remember and we remember things that we need to forget. And so now we see in the word of God that God has come to help his people, but we could go from from pew to pew and hear testimony from us today, 21st century believers of how God has helped us. If there's anybody here and you feel as if God is against you rather than God being for you, you are buying into a lie from the devil. Preacher, that sounds good, but you don't know my life. Everything I touch goes wrong. Every relationship I have is broken. I'm addicted to things and I've tried and I've tried and nothing seems to work out. I'm behind this eight ball of life and nothing's gonna help. And I, I want you to hear me say that God is not against you, that God loves you, God is for you. God has created you in his image. You can believe that God can certainly break the unbreakable. He can move the immovable. He can do all things through you. Why? Because he is a God that can make the impossible possible in your life so God has come to help you he is on your side he was certainly on the side of this lady with this terrible day that was ahead of her she woke up the worst day of her life but man could you imagine seeing I wish we could have a video camera of her going to bed that night laying her head on the pillow my oh my how things can change quickly remember the first 10 verses Jesus is a powerful enough God he can heal without even the physical touch But seeing that firsthand and the recipient, knowing that late, nobody knew that boy was dead more so than his mama. And boy, what a day that ended for her. The worst day became her best day. And then the very last statement in verse 17, the word spread quickly about Jesus all throughout Judea and the countryside. This was written about three or four months right before Facebook came out, all right? And word spread like wildfire. Why? Because it is impossible for somebody to see a miracle and not repeat or regurgitate what it is that we just saw. 
Now, we know what a miracle is, right? A miracle is something that man cannot put together. A miracle is a miracle. It's something supernatural. It's something that cannot be explained. It's something that can only come from heaven. And so this God, who is the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow, he he performed yet another miracle, and the word spread about Jesus quickly. I believe one of the reasons that Woodburn Baptist Church is such a healthy church, it's not just because of the beautiful facility you have, which by the way, it's unbelievable. A healthy church is not because you have a good, healthy budget. A healthy church is not because you just have a phenomenal pastoral staff, which you do. A healthy church can only be as healthy as its leaders, but a healthy church is healthy because of its people. I mentioned Mark and Deanna Macro, I saw his mom and dad earlier. I see some of the people here that were here way back when. And the reason that Woodburn has done such a good job of remaining true to the gospel is because of people that are not just people of faith, but faithful people. Woodburn, I would encourage you to continue to spread the good news about Jesus. There's somebody in your life And this is what the devil will do. The devil will want you to have relationship with them until the cows come home. But when we choose not to passionately pursue our relationship with Christ enough, not to share the good news that has saved our life and, and and, and don't share that with others, it's just wrong. Raise your hand if you remember the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. Do y'all remember that? If you raised your hand, that means you're old. Don't forget to take your pills tonight, all right? What's the, what's the most popular scene of that movie? Do y'all remember? It was awesome. Somebody whispered it. It's a little, y'all are weird. I heard all that's going on. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here real quick. Uh, the little boy's laying in the bed and he's talking to Bruce Willis and he looks at Bruce eyeball to eyeball. I thought it was one of the best little acting jobs of a little actor ever. He looks at Bruce Willis and he said, I see dead people. And Bruce Willis said, what do you, what do you mean you see dead people? Like dead people in graves? And then the coolest line of any movie that's ever been made the boy said no I I see dead people and they don't even know that they're dead now think about our Christian faith there are dead people amongst us and they don't even know that they're dead they might have all the money in the world they might have all the friends in the world they might have the white picket fence and whatever the American dream is but if they know not our savior they are a dead man walking And God is still in the business of making the impossible possible. Just as big of a miracle as we read today, if anybody here claims Christ as the Lord of your life and you know that your name has been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're a believer, I want you to know that that same miracle has been given to you. Praise the Lord Jesus for that. Amen and amen. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. Before I pray, let me say with every head bowed and every eye closed, Don't don't play the part today. On the outside, all is well. Whoever's sitting next to you, they don't know really what's going on in your life, and you got them snookered. Well, you, you don't have the Lord snookered. Just go ahead and confess that. And here's the great news. With your eyes closed, God still loves us in spite of us. God is not against you. God is for you. God desires for you and God desires for me to passionately pursue him. God desires for whatever miracles we've seen in our own life, including our salvation, for that miracle to be shared with this lost and dying world. 
God desires for us to be a people today that's not just filled with sympathy, which is a great thing, but God desires for us to be a people filled with compassion. Not just telling somebody I'm sorry, but also telling somebody how can I help? How can I engage myself into your story? I thank the Lord that we serve a God in heaven that is a compassionate God, not just compassion of the Bible, but compassionate to us. He loves us in spite of us. And I thank the Lord for that. Father, thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's here on this day. Lord, I pray that in this moment of invitation, if there's anybody here that might be a dead person walking, they they don't realize that they're dead, but if they're without a relationship with you, God, according to your word, they are. So Lord, I pray that if somebody needs to come and ask you, Jesus, to come into their life, I pray that that would happen. Thank you for the young man in the 930 service that recently gave his life to you, Lord. I thank you for that and his family. But Lord, maybe there's somebody else here today that's yet to ask Jesus to come into their life and to forgive them. Lord, what might have just been a normal routine day today could maybe even change like it did for this lady of the Bible when she laid her head on the pillow at night, knowing what Christ did for her, Lord, wouldn't that be grand if we could see that today, that somebody could go to bed tonight knowing that their eternity is secure because of Jesus. Lord, perhaps there's somebody here that wants to come and say, you know what, I, I try to be a good person, but I, I'm just not very compassionate, and I need to do a better job of that, and I know that the Lord is the one that can help me do that. Maybe, maybe we need to pray about that. So, Father, if there's somebody here also that wants to come and join your church here at Woodburn, I I can't think of many churches that would be a greater fit for any person that's here today than Woodburn Baptist Church. So, Lord, move amongst your people. Again, I pray that people would not remember my name, remember anything that I said, but anything and everything that the Spirit of God gave us today, Lord, I pray that those are the things that we will be able to remember. God, thank you that you are the same God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let us passionately pursue you now in this moment of invitation. And it's the name of Christ Jesus that I pray and give praise. Amen and amen.